Support for Pivot comes from BetterHelp. How do you know when your social battery is running on empty? Maybe you get a little snippy with your friends or perhaps Scott Galloway. Or maybe you just fantasize about canceling plans, creating one excuse after. You're fantasizing about me? No, 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 never. You're fantasizing about me. Again? Again? Not once. Not once. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Get off my ad right now. All right. Canceling plans, creating one excuse after another, why you have to stay in. I do that to Scott all the time. It's not easy to keep track of how much socializing is right for you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. And we all know Scott Galloway needs therapy. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash pivot today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pivot. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners, too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Hey, Scott, have you uh, gotten my room ready for Miami yet? Well, you know, I'm a super host on Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I've kind of figured out the unlock. I show up in a Speedo that says, Grande Eduardo y los Melisas, which of course means Big Ed and the Twins. And the first thing I do is I sit my guests down and I say, okay, shut the fuck up. Here are my rules. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. First rule, don't ask me where the bathroom is. It's the room with a piece of wood with a hole in it. Figure it the oh, fuck out. No. And then this I tell them true. I'm going to drop by randomly that I have a key. No. And what do you know? <laughs> What do you know? No, I'm actually, I am not going to be staying at your place, although I am bringing the clan down at some point during this horrible, horrible freezing cold winter here. Um, But I will be down there in a few weeks for our event, our our pivot event. And I'm very excited to get out of ice prison here in D.C. Um, We just uh, got Brian Chesky of Airbnb joining us as a guest. He is- CEO, Airbnb. He had just announced that he's going to live in Airbnbs around the country two weeks at a time. So he'll be in a Miami. Yeah, there's there's a term for that. It's called being rich. Uh, the wealthiest people in the world spend their summers in Aspen, Saint-Tropez, and Montauk. Yeah. And he's like, ooh, well, smell you. Well, he's going to stay in Airbnbs. We're going to ask him about it. And he's going to be at our Pivot MIA conference. I don't get that. Well, Why? He does it all I, the time. I, he's testing the product. Kara, I'm here to announce that I'm spending the summer in different Mandarin Orientals around the world. It's going to make a real statement. It's going to be inspiring. No. It's going to be inspiring. No, I think it'll be good. It'll be interesting. There's a lot to talk to him about, right? We've got a lot of amazing guests and more to come. I used to think I wanted to be Andrew Ross Sorkin. Now I think I want to be Brian Chesky. Yeah, we'll talk about Andrew Ross in a second. Um, but uh, but it'll yeah. be interesting. There's lots of issues around that. But it'll be nice to be in Miami. It'll be nice. You know, Lucky's coming. Uh, my brother's coming. There's a whole Swisher clan headed. Wait, I'm sorry. We're supposed to talk about our guests, and you're you're doing a name check on the family members coming. That's going to sell a lot of tickets. No, Brian Jeskin's coming. The head of Goldman is coming. Go ahead. You can name check. CEOs, WeWork, of, Airbnb, we New York Times. Yeah. The Smith Brothers and their new uh, their new thing. We got crypto stuff coming. I think we've got a psychedelics things happening. Oh, CEO of Goldman Sachs. David Solomon, and also colleagues Aswat DeMotor and or Jonathan Hyde, or as my students say, the guys that actually know what the hell they're talking about. And they actually gonna teach be students and treat them with respect, the, those guys. There you go. Yeah. So there anyway, go. so I'm excited to come down there. And you better not be wearing a Speedo. I did say you were going to serve everyone Hello. mocktails on the beach. Um, what? That's a cr- no, mocktails are a crime against humanity. I was trying to be people who don't drink. I was trying to be respectful. Mocktails. Yeah, we're going to have mocktails. mocktails. But we're going to have cocktails, too, and everything else. So it should be really interesting. No we're mo- very eager. No mocking of the tails. To push forward in it, where things are Tuesday going. Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Yeah, that's a Tuesday party. night, we're doing a total, yeah. a total march. We start outside with drinks, then we head to the cabaret at the Faena, that's and then the we end night. up at that speakeasy, yeah. the Saxony, mm-hmm. late at night. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it's going to be a lot of... Scott Drankin. <laughs> Come for the CEO, stay for the substance abuse. Yeah. Boom! Yeah, Scott will be the late night host. I go to bed at like 10 o'clock. Anyway, um, we, we're very excited about Well, you know what our it. vision what? for this thing is? What? what is it? Our vision for this thing is if Mark Andreessen and Stephen Hawking had a kid, it would be this conference. <laughs> that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Your vision. 
That doesn't That's make any kind of sense. Gross. Anyway, anyway, please come, please sign up. We're very excited. It's getting, it's gonna, it's coming soon, and we're very excited about being in Miami. Anyway, today, speaking of which, some of the issues we're going to talk about there, the latest in antitrust, including some news from my interview with Lena Khan. I also had an Elizabeth Warren one up today. They both talked about the issue. Uh, we'll look at the fallout from the Microsoft Activision deal. Uh, they're gonna, and we're gonna try something new. It's a little game called Elevator Pitch. So stick around for that. We hmm. always try to have new features on this show, new things like our conference. And this. We're always trying to be fresh. Yeah, we're so innovative. Anyway, first, Peloton's uphill battle is getting steeper. The company has brought in McKinsey, which is I don't know if it's a good sign or not. You would know better. Problem to solved. Review costs and potentially cut jobs reportedly in its apparel division. I do I do wear one of its Alley Love bras, by the way. This comes amid news that Peloton Insiders sold nearly $500 million in stock before the price plummeted in November. That includes its CEO, John Foley. He sold about 16% of his holdings. That's a lot, excluding options yeah. before September. Usually it's a, you know, it's a, these things happen normally, Plans but that's a, a big one. Yeah. One Peloton employee told CNBC morale is at an all-time low. So, I mean, this was a flying high company that we both like, actually, uh, as a product. But what do you think? I think it's primed for sale. That would be my guess, primed for sale. Yeah, you're right. It's it's It hit about 170 bucks. It's at 30 now. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a bad luck when I think CEOs should have planned sales. Mm-hmm. I think it's just when a stock gets his, you know, they it's their right. He didn't do anything illegal here. Um it's there, but I think it's a better look if you just have planned sales yeah. where a certain amount of shares are sold, you know, kind of at predetermined dates. It does look, it makes shareholders angry yeah. uh, when they see that the CEO realized his company was overvalued. Uh, so this company's, this company's in a lot of, you know, it's it's hit a speed bump. A lot of it was just, it was riding so high, but there's going to be what I call a 70% off sale bin. And we've talked about this mm-hmm. where companies swoop in and say, we're giving you a chance to shake the etch a sketch here. And move on. Yeah. And I just got to think that they're getting calls from every banker in the world. I still believe – I used to think it was going to be Apple. Now I think it's going to be Nike. But yeah. there's a host of people who could talk themselves into buying Well, they're thing. also – it's interesting. The others, Mirror, sold itself to Lululemon. They all, others got out while well, the getting was good, I think, in a lot of ways. And the question was, was this going to be its own thing with the subscription as we talked about? Because that, that was that's a really strong thing is having a subscription relationship. Uh, we've been pro-Peloton. Um, but at the same time – you know, some of these missteps have been problematic, and including the the pandemic ending and people moving, wanting other things, probably get over pelotoned, right? I guess or something I have for sure, although I use it. Regularly. Well, you know how so, you know how you know if someone has a peloton, they tell you, <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's like they're on it once a week, so they can talk about it four times. Yeah, a but week. I think people... it, it loses its appeal. All these things that you were doing, Zoom is down. Mm-hmm. All these things are down, and they, it was definitely a, a pandemic stock. Um, but it's interesting to see where they move it into because people, you know, what's going to stay regular and what's not going to stay regular as a practice post-pandemic. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's more than that. They have supply chain issues, yeah. morale issues, their, their growth, they actually had negative growth. It's, um, so there's a lot, there's a lot going here. And a lot of it was just the stock. I mean, the, it's easy to say these stocks are 70, 80% off, and that's, we understand, but they probably should have never reached those heights. They yeah. got they got kind of to crazy town. Yep, indeed, indeed. So now it's just wait and see what happens there and what McKinsey does. You know, you can't, you can't be smaller, I'll tell you that. You got to really move to the next level if they want to become more global. I still have mine. I put yeah. it, I put it in the middle of my living room. It's my favorite piece of artwork other than the turquoise marble peacock <laughs> I keep in the fireplace. <laughs> Yours is in your garage, your Peloton, as I recall. It is in the garage. It is in the garage. It, it the sits garage. there in a set yeah. next to the I actually Tesla. don't. You like Peloton. I can't I do. do it. I don't have the discipline. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I like the, I like the instructors. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, they're great. I think they have a great Hello. product. I Hello, still, Cinemax they with have an athleisure. Cre- oh, stop it. Anyway. Oh, come uh, on. No, no. No, I shall not go there with you. Whew. They're they're wonderful people. Whew-wee. Anyway, um, st- so another thing, Starbucks. It's interesting. All these these changes, the pandemic changes, is canceling its planned vaccine or test mandate for employees following the Supreme Court's ruling last week. They had sort of happily gone into it and been very. Um, Aggressive about it, and that ruling found Biden's vaccine mandate couldn't apply to big businesses since COVID isn't a threat unique to workplaces. Starbucks CEO John Culver said in a memo that the vast majority of employees are fully vaccinated. They probably feel like it's done and that it's not a negative for its business. I definitely, if they had not had the vaccination thing, I probably wouldn't have gone in necessarily or it would have been thinking about it. I definitely have thought about it with mm-hmm. airlines. 
Um, also canceling the mandate, GE, keeping the mandate, Goldman Sachs, United Airlines, Tyson Foods, Citigroup, Carhartt. Some of Carhartt's customers are calling for a boycott. Uh, a boycott, a boycott. Um, my son wears Carhartt a lot. Um, In-office mandate, American Express, Deloitte, Facebook, uh, Google, Lyft, Salesforce, Uber, as we noted, uh, Jamie Dimon had noted mm-hmm. that. Um, but Starbucks has 200,000 employees in the U.S. and 50%. Six percent Americans say they support vaccine requirements for employers. So it's an interesting moment. I think people are trying to do the move on from the pandemic thing. What do you think? Well, look, I I think it was great that they did the mandate, but it's probably so. First off, at NYU, for example, uh, we not only have a vaccine mandate. Uh, I just got a message saying I had to upload proof of my booster. Mm-hmm. So. Different different firms are taking different approaches distinct of what the Supreme Court has said, thinking that by the time that there's a lawsuit filed against them to try and enforce, you know, it, 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 this, is, this really is to a certain extent the company's decision yes. at this point. And I feel like they're using the law as a backstop for their narrative. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, Starbucks workforce uh, is under so much pressure because of what you call the greater reassessment, which I think is the right term, that – uh, and, and every every QSR, every restaurant, whether it's Domino's, yeah. Starbucks, uh, um, Panera, uh, Chipotle, they are really struggling they are. with, you know, a staff of 12 that are supposed to show up every morning and five don't show. Yeah. And so uh, this – the vaccine mandate was just another headache that caused another one or two people not to show up. Yeah. So, look, at the end of the day, I think Starbucks has made the decision – not to comply with the law, if you will, but to say we're at a point where the trade-offs for us from a from a company standpoint aren't worth the mandate. Yeah. Also, I think more generally, and you've said this, I think that the the majority of us are sort of at a point where we're vaccinated, it's going endemic. There was an article yesterday I saw, I think in the New York Times, saying that at this point, if you're fully vaccinated, COVID is more contagious, but no worse than catching the flu. Yeah. And But at the same time, you talk to your brother, and he points out that fifty to 100,000 people are likely still going to die from this. Yeah. So, But I, th- I think people who are vaccinated are kind of like, look, best of luck to you, but I'm going on with my life. So I don't think there's going to be much pushback here. Yeah. What yeah. are your thoughts? I agree. I think post-vaccination, I think that that's sort of the attitude of most people. I did a really interesting uh, sway. It's coming out Monday with some experts. And they, they had different opinions, honestly. I mean, and, which was good. And mm-hmm. It's okay to have different opinions. They weren't that far off everything else. But the idea is, look, if you're vaccinated and boosted, you'll be fine, most likely. And it's not, it's mm-hmm. not, it's, they're, they're like, it's not zero, it's not one, it's somewhere in there, and you've got to assess your risk, essentially, and it's not that That's high. Right. And so it was interesting, I'm not saying people shouldn't be careful, by the way. Um, but it's really, yeah. um, and I and I can't stand sort of the, the gloaters like CCC, they're, broken clock is right twice a day, essentially. It was very dangerous for a long time to have that attitude. Um, and so, um, so anyway, so I think it's, I, I think it makes sense. I do, I, I was thinking, would I go into Starbucks or not? I think they've gotten most of their employees vaccinated. So I think that they sort of feel like it's safe. They to reported that, right? Yes. Did they give a number? Yeah, it was high. It was, it was, it was very high. It was, yeah. it was super high. It was like, I don't know, 80, 90, something like that. Um, and I think that that's one of the things it's like, they can come out and, and not antagonize the people that are that they need to work there. And again, they're a restaurant business. Let's not forget that. Um, anyway, we'll see what happens. But Americans do support vaccine requirements at certain things. And uh, and I do think individual companies should be making these decisions now. And then they just deal with the workplace however they feel like it. You know, we're doing it. You don't have to come in. Whatever you want. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And then we'll see. Uh, the ones that were just doing it for virtue signaling, we'll probably dump it pretty quickly. But we'll see. We'll see. I think they'll they'll, they'll decide uh, based on the reaction from their employees. Well, hopefully, well, it does look like infections, at least in Florida, yeah. and I believe in New York, are starting to come down. Coming Deaths down are up because there's a lag. Mm-hmm. But it looks like, it looks like you know— and we've been here before, yeah. but hopefully it looks like we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, we'll see. So anyway, and then hopefully kids can get vaccinated. Although some of the people when I was talking to, they were sort of like, Carrie, you're, you know, the one I'm worried about is the golden child um, because she can't get vaccinated. But they said, one, it's coming sooner than you think. And two, um, mm-hmm. you are more at risk, Kara, for <laughs> getting really sick than your unvaccinated child. They were showing oh, yeah. me statistics. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So, but still, you're still. No matter what it is, it's an emotional thing to be worried yeah. about your children, and it's and it, and people that give parents a hard time about this should 
hush themselves, I think, in lots of ways. Hush, hush, hush please. Hush. Don't talk hush. to me. It's emotional. Anyway, time for our big story. I had a really in- a long interview with Lena Khan yesterday, me and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Your, give us your, the cliff notes. I, I will give you. Um, essentially, and please don't tell me that it's a really interesting podcast, and I should listen to it. Go <laughs> ahead. Not, it was actually on. On it was it was in a studio. I had makeup, and I was with Mr. Sorkin, your favorite uh, Canadian. Um, you, Andrew, and Lena. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did it on CNBC. Wow. Yeah, that's how we did. We did a we did oh, a live nice. one on CNBC, and then. It was, I think, her first really long, long first TV interview and the first very long one. And so we talked about a lot of things. Like, it wasn't just one or two things. Um, it was in, in the wake of two things. One is the Microsoft Activision mm-hmm. deal, which, of course, they didn't know about or nobody knew about. And then her and mm-hmm. John Cantor, who's the, the assistant attorney general for antitrust, had just started to release um, – trying to get, come up with new guidelines for mergers, which are related to antitrust, mm-hmm. um, which haven't been updated in a long time. Um, and so they're looking beyond price increases to determine if the customers are being harmed, including labor, uh, the effect on labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking specifically at digital things because they think these networks are different than other companies in consolidation. Um, and looking at things like harms to privacy and quality, uh, quality degradation is a word Khan kept talking about mm-hmm. as they evaluate mergers. They're going to get comments and then they're going to, um, they're going to see what they're going to do about those, but they're coming soon. Um, one of the things that she talked about a lot, and I think she's correct, is how severely under-resourced they are. She really articulated it, um, even though they're trying to enforce the law. Um, and said there might be retroactive enforcement of deals uh, that went through without proper scrutiny. Um, that's mm-hmm. she thinks she's specifically talking about Facebook. Um, I think one of the things she talked about was how little money they have. And of course, Congress still hasn't, that one of the bills that was supposed to give them $500 million more, both those agencies uh, got, you know, got turfed because of the, the one of the Biden social spending bills. And then it was in there. And then the other one, uh, which has passed the Senate by Senator Klobuchar and Senator Grassley to raise merger fees is still sitting in the House. So they don't have more money and they're being, you know, the on a, on a real basis, they have less people dealing with more mergers, which have doubled. There's 4,000 this year or something. And people are just shoving them through the pipeline because they know they can, you know, they can run through the gate without having to pay pay their ticket. Well, in the, in the U.S., um, year on year, M&A transactions are up 140 mm-hmm. percent. And in the last 40 years, the FTC staff has been cut in half. Yeah, yeah. There were twice as many people working in the FTC in 1980. Yeah, that's what she noted. And mergers, two-thirds. mergers have gotten much bigger, yep. much more complicated. Yep. Um, did, they, did anybody use my favorite term, hipster antitrust? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. We, we, Andrew did. He quoted uh, Larry Summers, who I got to say, I've got some issues mm-hmm. with Larry Summers, but call it Brandi- Brandeisian. Brandeisian. Hip, we asked her how to pronounce it because she's the only lawyer among us. Um, and she said uh, she she scoffed. <laughs> it was like, like you could hear yeah, but here's, the thought bubble above it, her head, which was Larry Summers. Sure. Well, just but but it is the key distinction, and that is forty years ago or so, we decided to adopt kind of the antitrust. Um, I don't know, Bible, if you will, was from uh, Bork out of Chicago that said that that there was one test and you could distill it down to one test, and it was the consumer pricing test. Right. And that is as long as it as long as it didn't increase prices and there was no consumer harm, you were fine. But the problem is that just isn't an appropriate metric for a free service like Google or Facebook. And I would also argue that the costs we incur from the monopoly that is monopolies that are Google and Facebook are non-economic harms. And yeah. ask anyone with teen girls about those non-economic harms. But the hipster, the hipster antitrust um, viewpoint or Brandesian is says, okay, let's look at income inequality. Mm-hmm. Let's look at wage growth. Labor. Let's look at competitiveness. Yeah. Let's look at labor markets. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's just a more thoughtful uh, prism to look at the harm here. Um, and it, we need to go back to that. And I think she's absolutely from that. She is. School no, of she sort that, of started it. She was the one who wrote that famous yeah. paper on Amazon. And one of the things that was interesting Amazon, to me, yeah. I think she was sort of lowering expectations saying, look, we're trying, we're, we're working hard. We're trying to enforce, we're trying to do deterrence, but these giants are coming at us and we will continue to mm-hmm. fight. I think that's what she was, you know, I think it was very deft on her part. At the same time, it's true, right? And she literally kept saying over and over again, this idea of, of um, uh, these qualities, that the degradation of quality is the word she kept using, which is an interesting bunch of words. And the attacks on her. Hmm. We talked about the recusal efforts, which they have lost so far in court. The judges have been like, of mm-hmm. course they picked her because she was the way she is. So 
cut it out. Uh, Google, I think Facebook, and they're also doing the same thing at Cantor. Um, but Apple and Google, for example, are still going on the offensive. In a letter to lawmakers, Apple said that planned antitrust bills, which are the separate, we also talked about Congress and what it needs to do to change antitrust mm-hmm. bills, um, would make iPhone users vulnerable to malware attacks. In a blog post, Google's chief legal officer said the new rules would force Google to include spammy services in its search results, among other risks. So they're like, if we're not allowed to do what we want to do, um, uh, uh, we're gonna, all hell's going to break loose. We're keeping the place, the streets clean, essentially, is what they're saying. And the mm-hmm. industry pushback doesn't even address the new bill from Democrats that would block digital advertisers from targeting ads to users. So, you know, it's a real face-off. And we'll see, if, you know, Apple and Google and all the others are in a better position because they're rich and powerful and shoving these mergers right through. Um, one executive said to me, like, look, they'll give us a hard time. They'll shake us down a little while and then they'll say yes. So whatever, like it's a dance, it's still a dance. And so they, she, she's, she's got to win. She can't like mount like sort of Don Quixote-like efforts without some kind of win. But the, but the ability to move forward with Facebook was a win when they refiled the case against Facebook, which the judge had pushed back on the FTC. So we'll see. She was very impressive, very impressive, I think. Yeah, and the, this argument that that I believe Meta and Google are both saying mm-hmm. that look, or Apple, I think, is it Apple and Google that are stating that it, all hell will break yeah. loose yeah. and we keep the clean. It's exactly the same argument that the mob makes when you give them protection money <laughs> and say, look, we ensure that the streets are safe and that the violence is kept to a minimum, and you pay us protection money. Mm-hmm. This is the exact same argument. Okay, it's illegal. You're paying us rents. You shouldn't have to pay. But we keep, you know, we keep things from getting too out of control. Well, you know, we'll take our chances. Get the hell out of here and stop extorting us. Yeah. I think these arguments, I think these arguments go nowhere. I think they can't get away from these numbers in terms, you know, they will also do the China. We talked a little bit about the China thing and she was like, okay, but it doesn't, it's not, fine. Sure, China's a threat. Um, and they, they're making, of course, that argument that China has more cameras, et cetera, pointed at us than anywhere else with TikTok or, or whatever services they're using. They're allowed to buy gaming well, let's companies. let's talk about taxes. So, yeah. You know what the greatest tax on creativity ever levied? Hmm. What? Ever. What? It's the App Store. Hmm. Well, if you're, if you're a really thoughtful a uh, person who's blessed with the skills and the certification to understand the intersection between creativity and technology, the the manifestation of that is something called an app. And if you want your app to ever see the sunlight, you got to pay 20 to 30 percent to one firm in Cupertino. Yeah. So the, 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 <laughs> the most prosperous creative minds in the world outside of art and business, if you will, uh, are all paying a 20 to 30% tax on one firm that uh, is charging wh- the, the greatest tax in history on creativity is the App Store. We need more points of distribution and more options yeah. such that the new kind of new generation of creatives can get sunlight to things without, I mean, 20 to 30%. The, the average company, if you're really lucky, has- Well, it's has actually 15, 50 in some cases, but go ahead. Well, in some- or small, and they say small businesses. Mm-hmm. To be fair, small businesses like point two don't pay anything. Mm-hmm. But if you think about margins on a company, the margins you get, you're hoping for fifty to sixty points of margin, maybe mm-hmm. more if you're in a digital space. So you're giving half your profits to the gatekeeper. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. They they have anyway, an argument to be I, made they, about safety. They have an argument, but you know, we can be the only ones who can protect you. Is probably not true. This <laughs> is just not true. There's other options, you know, other search options. Um, Google could be labeling any non-Google results as spammy. Like only uh, mm-hmm. only us can do it. Is the kind of thing. only I can save you. I can you. save you yeah, exactly. I, come on. So uh, you know, I think it's. I think people are sort of onto this, and at some point, they have mm-hmm. to acknowledge ninety some percent of this. To you know, eighty uh, percent of an ad market is just problematic. Now, there's second. There's two more besides China. Will be there's lots of competition. TikTok, for and by the way, China for Facebook. Or hey, in the gaming industry, and there is. There's you know, guess what? China owns uh, through um, Tencent owns lots of big things like Supercell and Riot Games and a big chunk of Epic, which is an American company. Um, and they don't get regulated. Why are we getting regulated? We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, that's the idea. Is comp- like, look what happened with competition for all of us. We'll, we'll be gotten by competition. Mm-hmm. And again, it, that's fine, but it's not, there's no regulation. And I think she's got a real uphill battle. That's clear. And, but a really smart regulator. I think, you know, there's been some controversy because she's opened up meetings. She's very uh, urgent. And I think, 
maybe some of the FDC haven't been as urgent over the past few years. Um, you know, and of course she has to deal, which I didn't talk about, which is her her imagery, right? She's a young woman of color mm-hmm. who is just a like clearly like a prodigy kind of legal prodigy kind mm-hmm. of person, and I think and not experienced at running anything, obviously, but um, but so smart. And she did work on David Cicilline's committee, and they did a great job. So I think probably. Her coming at them is probably like, what's this? You know, that kind of thing. And they have, they can, they can play on that. They haven't explicitly done it, but they've implicitly sort of been like, who is this person who deigns to question us? So I like, I think she's a tough, she's a tough one. So, As always, they're conflating issues. They, they have a real legitimate argument or concern around if we can't access Chinese markets, how can they, yes. how can we, or why would they expect to be able to access our markets in an unfettered fashion? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's an honest conversation. And I think if in retrospect, we look at one thing that we'll, we'll begrudgingly admit that Trump got right was China mm-hmm. to say, look, this is, this seems to be more of a one way relationship or the relationship here or the benefits are asymmetric. Mm-hmm. But the question isn't whether they have competition because I've always thought Google and Facebook love having Twitter and Pinterest because it's like they can look at these weak competitors and say whose brand and awareness is is not as big as Google or Meta, uh, but it's in kind of they, – they can say, oh, there's different social media networks. Meanwhile, they do about one – they do about 3 to 5 percent of the revenue of Google. Mm-hmm. They're really not competitors. I work with a lot of people who spend a lot of money in these platforms. You don't ever hear them talk about Twitter or Pinterest when they when they pull out their checkbooks. They just don't. I mean, the big money is res, is reserved for for two platforms. The question is not whether they have competition. The question is if you went in and broke them up, would the ecosystem get healthier? Mm-hmm. Would there be more tax revenue, more jobs, more competition, more startups? You know, what would happen to the ecosystem if you broke up? Because technically, every monopoly can feasibly. You know, Netflix says my competition is 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 time. My competition. So the term competition, in my opinion, ends up creating a, somewhat of a a side conversation. It's simple. If we broke up Facebook, would we in fact have have uh, more child safety, likely more innovation, likely a company that had to adhere to or attempted to say to platforms, "Look, advertise on us, and we won't weaponize mm-hmm. these platforms with extremist content." Would every advertiser, every company in the world perhaps get some margin back because we lower the rents? And the answer to all these things is yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay. So just because you point to Pinterest and say we have competition, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think one of the interesting uh, other interviews I did was with Elizabeth Warren, who was talking more about taxes, you know, and Elon Musk, and of course, addressed the, being mm-hmm. called Senator Karen by him. And she sort of dismissed him for that. Um, and one of the things she talked about was paying their fair share, that kind of thing, which she always does. I did make mm-hmm. the point to her, like, well, then change the friggin' laws. I sort of channeled you. Like, it's your fault, you know, if— the tax structure it is the way, not you in particular, Senator Warren, but you in general, you know, if you, you, you there's a stra- tax structure, why shouldn't he avail himself to it? And secondly, he is paying taxes when he needs to. But, you know, you can't expect people to just line up and want to pay taxes uh, necessarily or, or or shame them into it. I did, it was interesting. We had, it was an interesting discussion. I like Senator Warren, but um, they definitely, all these people who, and the, the personal attacks on her are ridiculous, just stupid. Um, and, you know, I don't know why they do that. I, I really don't. I, I can't even begin to understand that kind of mentality. But um, but I think she, they've got to change the tax structure at this point if, they, if that's the problem, um, instead of saying how greedy they are. I don't think it really plays as well as they think it does, because I think people admire. Yeah. And, and and you can look at Musk and say, look, he did. he's cutting costs at NASA. He's doing this. He's doing that. Um, and he's, that's where he should be arguing, right? Like, I'm doing good things, too, so— if you want to change the laws, change them. But her, them indulging in the insults of her seems ridiculous on some level. Well, you, you said something, and, and this is my favorite part of the program where I get to virtue signal. Mm-hmm. But I did a Zoom with a bunch of young men, um, uh, the kind of that are affiliated with this uh, my brother's keeper group, where it's a. It was a wonderful organization, and someone used the term Karen, and I said, "Be clear, Karen is the new bitch." Yeah, and that is when men are angry and want to make a misogynistic content, uh, comment or a sexist comment about some behavior that they have no honest or thoughtful response mm-hmm. to, they call the woman a Karen. And I'm like, what is the male equivalent of Karen? Mm-hmm. There is none. Yeah. It's a sexist, misog- just 
We should strike the term Karen from our vocabulary. And anyone who says it is trying to find a more elegant way to call a woman a bitch when they have no evidence and argument to push Mm -hmm. back on her behavior. It's just, it's, it's, again, these individuals, as brilliant as they are, have to let their inner child develop an outer man. Mm -hmm. Calling someone a Karen is basically saying, you know, you give up or you want to, you want to make a sexist comment Mm -hmm. about somebody. It's, it should be struck from the vocabulary. And I'm not someone, who thinks we should, you know, that certain words are dangerous or whatever, fine. It's a word, it's in our vocabulary, but be clear. You're just calling someone, you're just calling always a woman mm-hmm. a bitch yeah. when you hear the term Karen. It is, That's what it it's is used It is interesting for. that both these people pressing, and the third being Amy Klobuchar, are all women. It's really, I mean, there are men involved. There's Grassley and Warner and this and that, but mo- mo- some of the loudest voices are women. It's very easy to insult them, you know, using sexist terms. Well, he's, not calling, he's not calling Bernie a Karen. He called him something. <laughs> yeah, he said, no, he said, he said, I, did, I forgot you were alive. Yeah. He basically <laughs> made an ages comment, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 something like that. In so any let's case, go to the Trump playbook. Yeah. Let's go to a sexist yeah. or an ages comment. Anyway. Have, an, have a real argument. Have a, and she was like, I'm I, outraged. She's happy to have, she's like, I'm happy to have a discussion about taxes, please. Let's do that instead of you calling me a fucking Karen, bitch. And then she's like, I'm going to slay you. And then she, she gives as good as she gets. Anyway, two good interviews. But did you, too did you ask her, though? Did you press on her? It's like, well, how come you've been ineffective in passing yes. progressive tax legislation? Well, and what did she say? The Republicans. <laughs> They're probably insane. Okay. I mean, it's it, what, what, a, what a dysfunctional system that all these people can take advantage of. Anyway, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Microsoft Activision's deal on impact on Sony and others and take a listener mail question. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Scott, we're back with our second big story. It's still this Microsoft Activision deal. It hasn't gone through, but it's already causing trouble for gaming rivals. Shares of Sony, which is, I think, number two, fell more than 12% on Wednesday, wiping $20 billion off its valuations. Investors seem concerned that Microsoft could keep the best Activision titles in its Xbox subscription program and lock out Sony's PlayStation console. That's a worry. Meanwhile, shares are up for smaller. I don't think they would do that, but we'll see. That would be a real shot across the government's bow. Uh, meanwhile, shares are up for smaller game publishers like Capcom, whose title could become the subject of a bidding war. Epic's involved in it. There's all kinds of companies that could be for sale. Um, uh, what was interesting was uh, Khan didn't address it, couldn't address it because there's nowhere to go, but I'm sure they're mm-hmm. looking at it as they are the, the Amazon MGM deal, et cetera. Um, but it's, it's it, one of the things that's interesting about the Microsoft people and the and the Activision people is off the record, there were, I can say the words, I'm not going to say who said it, but they're like, Distant third is their favorite expression, and China. Right. Distant third, China. Right. It was like said twice. I was like, okay. Um, they mm. and in fact, they are by revenue uh, behind China's ten cent, and then Sony. Um, so there's plenty of room here to argue that it's a competitive market, um, and at the same time, say, oh boy, if one company or two companies get a hold of this that have the AI and infrastructure to be building the next version of the metaverse, because that's the other argument they make. Um, if you want the metaverse, people, you need to do this. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's it's a really interesting moment in terms of this purchase, which is enormous, Microsoft's biggest. So what do you think? Well, was, what, what I found interesting from a market standpoint is that Sony shareholders believe the acquisition is going through mm-hmm. uh, and took the stock 
as you said, down $20 billion, mm-hmm. whereas Activision shareholders aren't quite as certain it's going to go through. Mm-hmm. And there's there's an entire industry around Merge Arb where when a merger's uh, uh, announced, it usually, if it's announced at 100 bucks, occasionally it goes above because I think it's going to solicit other bidders at a higher price, but usually it trades at a discount to the announced price until the transaction is closed and then the merge ARB guys come in and they make a living saying they assess the likelihood the merger will go through. And if they think it's probably going to go through, they go in and they buy the stock for at a 5, 10, 15% discount and just wait for three to six months and boom, get what they feel is fairly risk-free or great risk-adjusted return. And what's interesting here is that the discount from the announced price is mu- is much greater than it usually is, which means that Activision shareholders don't believe or think there's a real risk this thing gets blocked. But at the same time, Sony, it, yeah. it's clear the market in general just feels like maybe things have gotten too rich for everybody because they're looking for any excuse to take a discount off the stock. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. It's interesting. I think one of the, you know, I, I think this is going to go through. I, I, I said last week it wasn't. Maybe they have to do something, but they've got bigger fish to fry here, and they don't have enough. Um, there is too you much competition. Happen, they'll 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 shake them down a little bit and demand this and that. That's exactly right. It'll it'll. I, I would bet you know seventy percent likelihood that it goes through, but they say, but you have to divest these assets or these titles. Yeah. They'll, they'll say, we're mean, see, we're going to let you do this, but we're we're standing watch and you got to spin X, Y, and Z, or you got to get rid of this game or something. And you can't uh, bar games from other platforms. You got to sell the Cartoon Network or yeah. something. You know, the, mm-hmm. it's like with the Time Warner acquisition. They'll yeah. say, okay, yeah. you know, uh, you've got, that's it. We can't let this go through. So you've got to divest Adult Swim. There, there is arguably you know, a lot of competition here. At the same time, you can see the coalescing happening right in real time, right? That it's... Microsoft. Yeah. And and I think one of the things, everything, of course, everyone goes metaverse because metaverse is why they need to do these things and they need the heft. But there are only a few companies. If you're in the gaming business, I think most gaming people I talk to are like, we need some real technology now, right? We need some really heavy duty AI mm-hmm. and cloud, et cetera, et cetera, machine learning, this and that. And they um, they all say they don't they're not capable of having it doing it. It's expensive and difficult where th- where games are going. And so there's only a few: mm-hmm. Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook. I'm surprised Facebook hasn't moved in here more significantly. I think they're probably the most wary of doing any acquisitions. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it would be Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook have the capabilities, right? So um, of the American companies, and then of course there's Tencent, which is which owns so much more gaming than you realize. It's crazy what they own, mm-hmm. um, and 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 including U.S. very significant amounts of U.S. companies. One of the executives said something to me, which I I, I have no basis, in fact, from saying it. But they're like, I don't know why we're fine with China pointing all these cameras and microphones at us at U at the U.S. and not regulating that. And then they're worried about us. And I'm like, worried about all of you. Like, I don't know what to say. Um, But I think that's, they'll definitely raise that, you know, boogeyman, the China boogeyman. So it's going to be an interesting time, but there is, this is a global industry and it's going to be really hard for it not to consolidate more and more over time. So we'll see. Agreed. We'll see. So before we get to our listener question, we want to try something new. We're going to pick a startup and talk about its funding. This is Elevator Pitch. In our inaugural round, we're going to look at a company that I like a lot. I use it a lot. I've used it for years. One password. I pay them every year. I find them incredibly useful. They just closed a $620 million Series C funding round. That brings a valuation of nearly $7 billion, which seems small to me. One uh, password has more than 100,000 paying customers, as I said, me being one of them, over 500 employees. You know, this is an interesting thing. I, these things also seem like they should get bought up by different companies, but maybe not. Maybe they mm-hmm. should be separate. What do you What do you think of this company? I'm thinking this is probably inexpensive. I had never heard this about this company till just now, but I'm immediately drawn to it because there's few things, the three things I hate most in my life and I'm, mm-hmm. are shoelaces, keys, and passwords. <laughs> I don't think I've ever remembered a password. Right. I just, all day long, I sit there getting getting new emails to re-verify or get a new password. But anyways, it sounds like, uh, the only question I would have here, I bet it's a great business, mm-hmm. 100,000 paying, uh, uh, so uh, what do they pay? I what forget. do you pay each year? I, 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 it's not small. It's, I feel like $50. I don't, I don't know. 
Okay, so let's say it's a hundred thousand. That would be only five million a year on a seven billion dollar valuation. Right. This sounds to me like a, a really interesting business. But here's the fear: mm-hmm. the fear is, does it become a feature that another player just kind of turns on? Well, Apple kind of has it, yeah. right? Apple has it. Tries to provide you with passwords. You know those long things. Do they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They want to double yeah, their size. Okay. They want to double their size and and in the password management systems. And it's, My it's Canadian firm, to by these the way. Guys. FYI. It's Canadian? It's Canadian. Oh, well, we hope they win. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Invest. Everyone should invest. Yeah. No, look, the only advice I would have, I was speaking to a friend yesterday who has a an interesting business. It's kind of a restaurant lounge slash membership kind of Soho House kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about raising money. My advice to the entrepreneurs here would just simply be, if you're going to raise money at $7 billion on what is either a five, it sounds like I've... I don't know, hundred thousand at fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, don't, I, mean maybe that's five. I mean, they're trading. Anytime you're raising money at like a massive multiple of revenues, unless you're already independently wealthy, and this is a lesson entrepreneurs take some money off the table. If there's excess demand for the round, which will probably will be here because it sounds like a hot company, put some money in your pocket. So I, I can't speak to the valuation. Can't even speak to the business. All I can say to the entrepreneurs is take some money off the yeah. table. That way, it's a win no matter what happens. Because this, to me, based on what you said and this valuation. This feels vulnerable yeah. to me. One of the things is it was a consumer password company, like for people like me. Um, but now mm-hmm. it, it's it's really focused on businesses. You know, it's 100,000 companies, including Slack and IBM use it. Um, oh, and so, uh, so that's where it's really, it's going to be doing that. Um, and the CEO, Jeff Shiner said, uh, humans are not built for security. We make it simple for people to stay safe online. Obviously, again, if you have an iPhone, it, do, it has a password system, but I don't even understand. This is the one area that, you know, he's talking about this, the simplification of make it easy to forget the complexity of security really to me is a huge opportunity. Yeah. I just, I sit there, it's the one place where I, even one password, which I think is one of the easier ones. I'm still confused by mm-hmm. it. I, I just am like, um, you know. And it was interesting is they, their investors are really sort of top level. Iconic was one of them. Um, uh, 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 just came into this C round, Lightspeed Ventures, Tiger Global, and Excel, Excel, which was a previous investor. Also, these are sort of top level um, uh, venture capitalists in here. Um, revenues is supposed to come in around 150 million dollars. Um, and businesses now account for 60% of its revenue, which is interesting. Um, so 150, 150 million, it's an enterprise business, so it's trading mm-hmm. at about 40 to 50 times revenues. Do you know, does this say what the growth is? Uh, no, they did not. Um, uh, here, here's an interesting thing. This is from a CNBC story. Uh, firms are charged from $7.99 per user per month, while 1Password's cust- consumer customers pay $2.99 a month for access. There is a monthly one and a yearly one. It's not that much. Mm-hmm. It's actually not mm-hmm. that much. I thought it was more than $2.99. Um, but it's one of the biggest security fundings, you know, which is interesting. And I think I still think it's enormous opportunity. There's a bunch of others like LastPass. I've tried all of them. Um, but, you know, yeah. I, I do think it's either an acquisition target or um, or something else. Like, you know, or that this is an area that should be separate. Um, but security mm. solutions are only going to be more and more um uh, important. They have, um, they, you know, there's going to be biometric stuff, um, yep. and that's yep. not as that's secure. It's yeah. not as secure as complex passwords. And obviously, as you know from talking to any security person, these are broken instantly. So I, I don't know. I think it's both an opportunity and also, you know, how how can it grow when there's these giants sort of sort of running the show? Anyway. There you go. Look, the, the, what I clearly got wrong was I was assuming it was an all-consumer business no. and it was 100,000 paying mm-hmm. consumers. Obviously, what this is, 100,000 customers, including places like Home yeah. Depot, right? Yeah. That, that, mm-hmm. that it's enterprise, 60%. Yeah. I'm, you know, and this is whenever I talk to people, whenever I hear about multi-billion dollar valuations mm-hmm. at 30 to 50 times revenues, I'm always like, sell. That <laughs> 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 This is uh, it's because I'm, I'm always a half glass empty. But the, the thing you said that strikes me is when I think about biometrics, I think about clear. I would like an invasion of privacy as long as there's regulation Mm. on top of it that ensures they're not doing anything weird with the data. I would like to go back to where we were in the 70s where I could walk my dad literally to the plane at Orange County John Wayne Airport and there was no security, no boarding pass, and they basically just scan your eyes and say, okay, this is your seat, and maybe they communicate to you through your AirPods 
And whether it's vaccination status, reservations at a restaurant, I'm all down. Uh, walking, going in, grabbing a pair of on tennis shoes and leaving the store and you're automatically billed because it scans your irises and, and then it says into your into your AirPods, a pair of on shoes, 129 bucks. Or mm-hmm. you leave a restaurant and they say, what would you like to tip? I think there's an enormous opportunity for convenience around biometrics. I'd like clear to be distributed everywhere. I think it's really powerful because you go to a Premier League soccer game Mm -hmm. and or a sporting event, and it just takes so long to get the right, bring the stuff up on your phone, get the tickets. And it's also, it's stressful. Um, Anyways, I, I, I think biometrics and security and simplification are enormous opportunities. But gentlemen at Password, sell. The dog <laughs> I says say sell. It's a good opportunity. Anyway, all right. Well, that's where it's going to go. Next week, you know which one we're going to do? Tom Brady's new NFT startup autograph, which got $170 million from people like Andreessen Horowitz and others. We'll talk about that. It's got some- Andreessen Horowitz that's trying to decentralize the world so they can further centralize power and wealth? Yes, exactly. Kleiner Perkins is here. FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried. And uh, The weekend is involved in this one. Weekend is so talented. That guy is so talented. That's going to be our next week's autograph. Tom Brady's so dreamy. He's dreamy. Don't oh be God. investing if someone's dreamy. That Nobody listen to Scott. That counts for a lot. That counts for a lot. Dreamy does not count for oh, anything. Yeah. Anyway. They're more, success, they're more likely to be successful. Hate to say it. You heard it here. Okay. All right, Scott. We're going to pivot to a listener question. You've got, you've got. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. This one came in the email, so I'm going to read it. Hi, Kara and Scott. Notice they said Kara first. You've talked about startups that need to go vertical to improve things like- You mean pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, (laughs) even though that's not alphabetic? You you talked about startups- Not that I've noticed that. Not that I've noticed that. Startups that that need to go vertical to improve things like shareholder value, cost efficiency, and competitiveness. You've also talked about companies like Amazon or Google who are too big and stifle innovation by buying smaller companies. How do you determine the threshold between a company that's too big and one that needs more vertical integration? Is that something that needs to be regulated? Love the show. Neil from Alberta, Canada. That's that's a Scott question. Go for it, Scott. The the two moves that have created more shareholder value than any business business or strategy moves in history are one, um, the recurring revenue bundle, where it's Amazon Prime or Apple Arcade, whatever. A move to recurring revenues, what Adobe did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it massively takes your company from a transactional business to a relationship-driven business. But the second is verticalization, where we've been talking a lot about this. And I, I always say to companies, the moment you feel you're in a, a moment of capital power, and this is a good lesson for every company right now, map out your entire supply chain from where you get the resources and the products and the materials to where it's manufactured, mm-hmm. to where it's assembled, to how it's distributed, to how it's sent to the DC, to where it's retailed to how it's supported, how it's returned. Ask yourself where you are in that supply chain and if you should be thinking about forward or backward integrating. Because in the 80s, the most creative move in retail was going into private label. When Walmart said, you know what, we can come up with a cola that's 90% as good as Coca-Cola for 40% of the price. And JCPenney said, we can come up with a denim brand called Arizona that's 80% as good as Levi's for 50% of the price. Mm -hmm. And they built a billion-dollar denim franchise. Mm -hmm. And then you look at Apple forward integrating into retail. I mean, verticalization, if you, if you, I, and an exercise I like to do with companies is like, I was on the uh, uh, phone yesterday. I don't think I'm speaking out of school. I don't care. No, I don't think I care. I was on the phone yesterday it. with Canada Goose, which is a brand I love. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, if, if Canada Goose has a $4 billion dollar market people, cap right now. Right? Yeah, the, the coat very people. Very expensive Canada coat. Goose, yeah. 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 I have one. They're wonderful coats. Yeah. You have one, right? I've seen you I have one. one, but then I've decided to wear my Zara one because it's more comfortable. But go ahead. It's cheaper. It was cheaper. Um, I've seen you in that Canada goose. It's no, like, how about it's some a, Kara with your jacket? Zara. Literally, it's a little head. It's, it's a little poof of hair. A, I, I, I like, like the Zara one better jacket. than the Canada goose. But go ahead. Keep going. You're offending me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they're good people. And they're Canadian. They're headquartered in, they're headquartered in Toronto. They're good people. So, Canada goose, go through the exercise of saying, all right, what if you what if you had a crystal ball and it said, Canada Goose, you're worth fifteen billion now in three to five years. Your market cap had quadrupled. And then you had to guess what had happened, what series of actions took place that quadrupled our market cap. And I'm like, well, what if your growth was uh, supercharged? I'm like, yeah, that might double your stock, but it wouldn't quadruple it. Well, all of a sudden outerwear became hot, really hot. I'm like, yeah, that that again wouldn't quadruple it. The only way you have these massive increases of shareholder value is when you take a transactional company and move to recurring revenue, or you take a company 
that Ford integrates uh, into retail or reverse integrates into uh, producing their own products. Mm-hmm. Verticalization and um, uh, recurring revenue bundles are the only way you can kind of three, five X your company. So I think it's something every company should yeah, constantly should be when, thinking Then about. when is it too big then? How does it stifle innovation? And they buy these small. Well, companies. that's more the Lena Khan question. Yes. That's a different question. Vertical mergers and was of discussion between the Justice Department. They they're on the same page. They say about vertical inter- vertical mergers. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting. How should we vertically integrate, Scott? Well, I don't know. We could have an event in Miami. Hello. Is that vertical? No. Hello. No. We're in events. Oh, I We're think we should make our own headphones. Is what we should do. Anyway. Really? No, no, that's a tough business. I know that, but that's let's a tough vertically business, integrate. Kara. You and I know nothing about technology. I know, but let's vertically integrate. That should be a pickup line at a bar. Would you like to vertically integrate? I guess it would be horizontally integrate. Anyway, sorry, what? The way we would verticalize, we'd be more horizontal, and that is we would go to adjacent products and content, for example, we could start a newsletter. Mm. Uh, and But the more, the probably the more obvious one is the one we're doing, and that is forward integrate into into events. Uh-huh. The other thing we could do is reverse integrate and be a platform for other podcasters. Oh. But it's something, whenever you get to a point where you have additional capital and brand momentum, you absolutely want to be thinking about verticalization. Because the only way you maintain the kind of margins that we all want for outsized valuations is to control more and more yep. of the experience. That is fair. Um, but it's, I think it's something that every company, small, medium, big, should be thinking about every year. Let's map out our supply chain. And not only that, the supply chain, mm-hmm. if you really think about COVID-19, mm-hmm. the real impact of COVID-19 is that every company and supplier has totally rethought their supply chain because all of a sudden you wake up and you can't get stuff out of Shenzhen Indeed. or it's stuck on a ship or, well, you Well, you're know, never going to have, you're not going to have a, a pandemic every hundred years, right? Though, you know, at some level, you're like, yeah. But a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah. This is I know, this is an enormous you opportunity. You can also over-prepare. Or even thinking about your own supply chain. Mm-hmm. There's, you can have a lot of fun with this. What is this your supply chain for renting your human capital to the organization? Yeah. How do you get there? What do you do to prepare to get there? What's the certification? How do you interact? How do you deliver that product? And now look at how it's changed with remote work, with unbundled yeah. education, with competition, with new ways to rent your human labor and say, how should I be thinking about the supply chain as it relates not I'm- only to my own human capital, but my own happiness. Constantly thinking about my supply chain. I am. And also, I have a lot of toilet paper, just so you know. Anyway, that's a great question, <sighs> Neil go, from Alberta, Canada. My supply chain is excellent there. Send us more. If you've got a question you're curious about, go to nymag.com pivot and submit it for the show. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions. Support for the show comes from the Harvard Business Review. You know, there's this idea in business that some people are born to be leaders. You either have it or you don't. But leadership, like any skill, can and should be learned over time. Whether you've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder or are just starting out, you'll find valuable insights at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a leading destination for smart management thinking. And on their website, hbr.org, subscriptions are just $10 a month, which gives you unlimited access to the same level of expertise. Things like case studies, newsletters, podcasts, articles written by some of the world's top minds. I use HBR in my research when I do articles or when I'm thinking about what to talk about on Pivot. I find them really interesting. I find them complete. I find them different. And you can find all kinds of industries covered. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Scott, give us this week's prediction. I have none, except I keep saying Pinterest is going to get sold. But that's all I say. I think we should create a theme here, and that is what I'll call the 70% off bin. Mm-hmm. And that is, oh. and you said this around Pinterest. Mm-hmm. I've been saying it forever around Twitter. But when you have a certain class of companies that have doubled or tripled in value, whether it's a payment platform or whether it's Salesforce, and then you have other companies that are 70% um, off, like a Peloton, a Twitter, a Pinterest, then what you effectively have is these companies, If in, in terms of those companies acquiring those companies, those companies are now 90% less expensive because if Salesforce were to acquire Twitter, it would be a 10% dilution instead of a yeah. 40% dilution four years ago. 
And so I think uh, my prediction is I, I just want to throw another one in the 70% off bin that it would be of real strategic value. All right. Um, the filing's basement. Gonna, what is it? What's in filing's basement? There you the go. Uh, it's rope. It's Roku. Oh, you keep saying you've said um, this before. It's still not cheap. You thought they'd be a buyer, though, before. Is that correct? If I, if I... They still might be. I, my prediction last year was they were going to be a buyer or seller, but they topped out at about 500 bucks a share. They're now at about 180 But they have about a 56 million person customer base. Uh, I think Comcast is 30 million and trades at a quarter of a trillion. And what you want here is you want either the content that's so powerful that it 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 differentiates the distributions, such as the uh, acquisition uh, by Microsoft, who has the distribution but went and got fantastic content with um, Activision, or you want distribution that's so powerful that you can you can benefit or advantage certain content. And it just strikes me, Roku with fifty six million households that have these things Comcast, and at a market cap. Yeah. Yeah, and and at a market cap of twenty four billion, mm-hmm. it seems to me that uh, either I mean, there's a lot of players that could benefit. Let me throw out a weird okay. one: Walmart could buy Roku. Mm-hmm. Walmart is, I think, the so largest roads, seller of. T- um, all those people leave them. They have so many. Um, Walmart is the largest retailer of televisions. What if they were to bundle Roku? They also, no one talks about it. Walmart has its own streaming network. Yeah. What if Comcast bought Roku? Uh, it, when if you Roku right now represents massive distribution and uh, influence across 50 million households, and it's 70 percent off its high, and also I think the acquirer that's going to announce something big, mm-hmm. uh, I guess this is sort of a uh, prediction one A. Comcast needs to do something, yeah. and it has a quarter of a trillion yeah, dollar market cap, and it's a very impressive Roberts company. Lovely guy, I have to say, one of the more is he? He's so polite. I've never, you know, I have went from Rupert Murdoch. To Brian Roberts, mm-hmm. and I couldn't uh, – such different people. What a gentleman Brian Roberts is. Not that really? Rupert's particularly nice. rude, but he's just – Is he Canadian? Um, no, but he's Go just – for someone who, you know, he grew up rich and he inherited his company. And he's done a lot with it, obviously, very much like Rupert did a Biggest lot. his company in Philadelphia. A lot of – both of them took strong businesses of their fathers and built it into bigger things. Yeah. Um, but I have to say he's a he's a gentleman. And it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. But I'm saying you're right. What are they doing? Let's go. Let's go, Comcast. Gotta move. So that it always impressed you said something that struck me. It always blows me away. And you're one of these people mm-hmm. when I meet rich kids mm-hmm. who work really hard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because Carrots. if I'd grown up with money, the only two things I know would have been in my life are a Range Rover and a cocaine habit. <laughs> And sprinkle in a few male prostitutes. Yeah. I am so impressed with people like you and Brian Roberts. And I meet yeah. these people all the time that grew yeah. up with money and yeah. still work hard. We do. I don't know what you're thinking. I Anyways. don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Because my mother didn't impress us. And, uh, and uh, my brother is uh, are also very hard workers. Yeah, your brother's a baller too. Both of them, actually. And your other brother, he is. the coal guy. Yeah, he is. He really yeah. is. They're hard workers. And my kids are hard workers. Louie, I was so impressed. What was Louis uh, so, Louis worked so much this year. It was he, His work ethic was. It must be ingrained in our family or something because well but that was what say, I was going to ask and I'm being I don't I'm being very serious now yeah can you distill it down to one attribute that was in the home that that created <laughs> I mean this is that this is literally the book we all want to buy as parents what is the secret sauce for instilling grit I won't even call it character because I don't yeah. know you know that's a different ball of wax but in terms of working hard and really going for it and making the yeah, kinds of sacrifices I, I, I was a little of, worried about my kids but then Louis turned out to be such a hard worker such a good employee such a like really goes the extra mile I know I know they're amazing no but I, no they're I'm just saying I was surprised because I thought they I was know worried why. about that um, I don't know because my mom uh, would, was not a big pusher of us working um, she wasn't like standing over us saying study study work 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 at all so there was no pressure mm-hmm. there my dad of course came from almost nothing and worked his way up but died very early in our lives a uh, hard worker uh, but and from nothing again you know he was sort of the more typical kind of i'm going to make it you know from my modest upbringing not not poor but modest um and uh i don't know my grandfather came from poor background worked his butt off and made a lot of money um so that was again he was more typical i don't know what it is i don't know why my brothers and yeah. i work so hard i don't, I don't know. think anybody does i don't know I don't we just like does. we like it we found things we like actually my 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 older brother loves medicine 
Uh, he would have been fine in technology too. I love what I do. And my little brother loves law, I think, or business business and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think we love what we do. I can't, I, I have no That's idea. That's the brother we want to meet. That's yeah, the brother we'll we want to meet. Him. That's the guy we, 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 we never meet. He won't meet him yeah. unless he comes, he drives down no? to Florida. Who knows? He's not, he's, he's shy. He's a shy one. Jeff and I have hmm. all the look at me-ism. So anyway, um, he's super smart. He's super, super smart. Um, and despite our political differences, he's a lovely guy. Anyway, uh, okay, Scott. Well, how big of you to overcome his political he's affiliation terrible. and just be his sibling? <laughs> no, come well, on. I, you've really like, grown, Kara. <laughs> he's way too smart. My mom, I'm going to give her a pass because she's like hopped up on Fox News. My brother should know she better. She looks good. She My looks good. She's stylish. That's but, important. Yes. I heard her and Tom Brady are she starting is, a company. She is within miles of you. Just remember that. She is She is there and she, we have, we have, she has landed come on by, in the sunshine state. So just be ready. No, don't tell her to come on by. We don't want her in a car. We, Uber is the only thing oh, she's allowed to do. Anyway, there she's go. there. She's and I was like, "So how is it?" You went, eh. like, <laughs> she's never happy anywhere she is. <laughs> how is it? Oh, it's okay. It's You've okay. abandoned me. <laughs> You've, yes, you could look at the You've ocean. Been, it's beautiful. It's yeah. lovely. I did. Yeah. I did. Why do you care? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Scott, all right, all that right. is the show. Are your kids hard workers? Do you imagine they're being to be hard workers? You're you work like an engine. Um, I mean, a work I think about this a lot. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to believe, or if you know, the big argument in raising kids or just in evolution or biology has always been nature versus nurture. That's mm-hmm. always been the argument. If you ever want to fall on the side of nature, just have two kids. Mm-hmm. Because I have one kid who's something out of a Hallmark Channel movie. Literally comes in in the morning. This morning, he asked me if I he want if I wanted him to make me breakfast before he headed off to school, carrying a backpack that was like 300 pounds because mm-hmm. he studies so hard. Mm-hmm. And the other one will come in, and it's no joke, he's literally a terrorist, <laughs> constantly assessing the household for weaknesses and vulnerabilities <laughs> so he quality. can strike. <laughs> and it's like, how did, I mean, we just haven't treated them that differently. Yeah. So it is, I mean, you can manicure yeah, around the edges, yeah. but my sense of children is they just come to you. Something in the batter. I do. T- I think so, too. They're just hard workers. I don't, I, that's what I think. I think yeah, it's just the way people are. Batter. Something or other. Who knows? Who knows, Scott? But so you- my nicknames for them are the terrorist mm-hmm. and favorite. Oh. <laughs> is that wrong? Is that wrong? <laughs> Anyways. Do not do that. Do not do that. That's the show. We'll be back Tuesday for more. And again, we'll be in three weeks, or so we'll be in Miami. So sign up for our lovely conference. It's going to be great. We have some great people coming. All right, read us out, Scott. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Mia Silverio. Ernie Entretot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next Friday for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Pivot Miami featuring DJ Soul, David Solomon, and DJ Galloway, or my stage name, Post Facts. <laughs>